because it feels as though summer can't last long enough. Welcome to the Nature of Phenology, where we share the cycles and seasons of the outdoors. I'm your host, Hazel Stark, and this episode was written by Joe Horn. For two blissful summers, I was lucky enough to be selected as one of the caretakers of a small island off the coast of Maine for a local land trust. The job was rather straightforward. Broadly, we were to keep up the few structures, ensure the composting toilet was clean, keep the trails cleared, and talk to visitors. The job was peaceful, fulfilling, and gave me a chance to observe the marine environment in a way I never had before. Much of the ecology was the same on the island as it was on the mainland, with the exception, I suppose, of the resident great horned owls, excessively abundant population of muskrats, and the rather common smooth green snakes. But living without electricity, running water, and the trappings of modern life allowed me to be more tuned in to what was going on around me even pay more attention to the common things that in day-to-day life and exploration might go almost unnoticed, like the common periwinkle. Periwinkles are known by scientists and the Latin-speaking naturalists among us as Litterina litteria. Both the genus and specific epithet have that little morpheme litor, which comes from the Latin for seashore, and the full name litteria means from the seashore. This paints a pretty clear picture of where you might find these small grayish-purple-shelled snails, the mid to upper reaches of the intertidal zone. Whenever I head to an area of ecological interest to me, I tend to take a couple of field guides. On this island, it was no different. One book I simply needed to have was Yule Gibbon's Stalking the Blue-Eyed Scallop, which focuses predominantly on the edible plants, algae, and animals that one can forage along the shore. In this book was a chapter on periwinkles with clear instructions on how to gather, steam, and eat these small snails. But what intrigued me wasn't that they could be eaten, but that they were eaten in some abundance in their native range of the European Atlantic coast. What's more, here in the U.S., they aren't even native, but rather a non-native that has been on our shores anywhere from a couple hundred to a thousand years. Carried by early fishermen? Colonizers? Vikings? Unfortunately, we aren't exactly sure, and it could be all of the above. Needless to say, I was intrigued to learn about an easily forageable food that is at once incredibly abundant, non-native, and described as excellent table fare. So after a long, hard day of mowing the trails around the island, I came back to the caretaker's cabin for some post-work relaxation, which, in all honesty, is usually pretty busy by most people's standards. I grabbed a small dish from the kitchen and headed out to take advantage of a falling tide revealing lots of rocks, seaweed, and of course, periwinkles. Now, even though it was the middle of the summer, I didn't have to worry much about things like red tide or any of that because unlike filter feeders or fish, periwinkles are almost entirely vegetarian in nature, so they tend not to accumulate those harmful toxins. Turning the piles of green seaweed this way and that, I was able to uncover and collect a soup bowl's worth of periwinkles and took them back to the cabin. Back in the kitchen, I grabbed a saucepan and filled it with a bit of water and brought it up to a boil. I tossed the snails into the water and steamed them until their operculum, that shield-shaped cover they pull over the opening in their shell, opened. While I waited for that to happen, I went over to my sewing kit and pulled out two pins whose tips I carefully bent to make small tools for extracting the snail's flesh. Once cooked, I strained them and put them on the table as an appetizer with a small dish of melted butter. Following Gibbon's instructions, I discarded the operculum, used the bent pin to grab onto the meat of the snail, Rotated the shell, and out came a perfect corkscrew-shaped morsel. Dipped in butter, they were excellent, mild and earthy in flavor, and with the added butter, were fantastic, if a bit of work. 
Gibbon suggests eating them like this or adding the meat to fritters or omelets. If a summer weekend brings you to the seashore, you can look for periwinkles. Even if the idea of eating a snail is off-putting, they still make for interesting finds by the water, and whenever you start looking, you tend to find even more things of interest. Perhaps you will find a shrimp, mussel, or even an anemone. You can download this episode and find a link to the transcript, photos, information about podcasting, and more by visiting archives.weru.org. Thanks for listening, and please join us next week for another dive into the nature of phonology. (laughs) 